Hey, welcome back to e-commerce on tap. My name is Nathan Resnick. Today we have a very special guest, Rodney, joining us from Anvil. Rodney, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Before we dive into e-commerce and Anvil, I want to get your backstory real quick. How did you create Anvil and how did you even come across the problem that you're solving with Anvil? Yeah, I think it's pretty straightforward. In undergrad, which is back in 2000 to today, I really focus on supply chain. So industrial systems engineer, study of supply chain. I went to West Point, which is a military institution. So I graduated in the army as an engineer officer. Part of my job was a lot of supply chain, moving goods all around the world, buying things, building things. It's just an essence a supply chain, but for the government. And then after that transition, focus on supply chain grad school. I was at Apple building numerous products. So if you're a Mac lover, iPhone lover, chances are I probably touched one of those products in my life. And then after that, I was at Harry's Grooming and able to work with Andy, Will, uh, Raider, B, building what they were doing there. And it's one of the best companies and experience in my life, but all supply chain, single thread, wow. something I truly love. And I was seeing it from really the physical product side of the business. That's awesome. Yeah. You went from basically the world's biggest supply chain, the U.S. military, to then probably the biggest private supply chain, Apple, to then the D2C or e-commerce darling Harry's, which is just such a staple in the branding world and what they've achieved is incredible to seeing a gap in the supply chain world. And as we begin our conversation, I want to understand what's that gap or that disconnect that you saw with supply chain teams to create Anvil? Was it more around product sourcing or a software disconnect or what kind of missing gap was apparent across the military and Apple and Harry's and other brands that you've interacted with? Yeah. If you look at the very first mile of supply chain where I was at, and what I look at the first mile, it's strategic sourcing, finding suppliers, new product introduction, bringing products to market, mass production, scaling those globally, and then ocean air truck inbound logistics. That's the first mile. What I was seeing, it was that it was extremely manual. So it was, everything was, it was pen and paper, it was Excel, it was phone calls, it was traveling around the world, trying to see things with my eyes. And the second thing, it was very silent. So what I was doing versus what someone next to me, I had no clue because they're in their mm -hmm. manual processes. That means information couldn't be shared. So you didn't know truly how to make things optimized. Those two things were painful. But then when I was transitioning out of big supply chains, I started seeing other tools firsthand, like CRM, Salesforce, HubSpot, even mm -hmm. ATSs, like a lever, a greenhouse. I was like, man, why are these tools for sales professionals? But we have nothing as supply chain professionals. And that's really was a pain. I was tired of my hair being on fire constantly. Yeah, I can only imagine. It seems like our whole industry was so old school and what Anvil and Sourceify and other companies have done is really tried to bring it to modern day software and technology to improve the sourcing process and transparency across stakeholders. I guess as we go into what Anvil does, what stakeholders do you see in the supply chain, right? You've got the sourcing team, you've got maybe the freight team, and I think also a lot of our audience runs mid-sized e-commerce brands. How have you seen that differ interacting with mid-sized e-commerce brand type of supply chain teams? Apple, is it just completely night and day in terms of the team or is the stack somewhat similar? What's the main differences? Yeah, I think it's fewfold. Number one is resources and you have resources around capital and manpower. But outside of those two things, it's the exact same. 
What I was doing wow. at Apple is the same thing I was doing at Harry's. And it's really how good you are as a professional you know, with sourcing on your side versus our side. If you were sourcing, it was like manually trying to figure out these relationships, going trade shows. And you're like, man, I'm only good as me and my network and the things I've created. This is technology clearly scales infinitely, but the same pain was felt. I just had hundreds of millions of dollars to spend at Apple. Right. Yeah. <laughs> really thousands of people, they were a tiny team and little budget. Yeah. At Apple, you're kind of like the biggest buyer in the room, right? So I guess I'm curious too, how do you navigate negotiating with suppliers when you're the biggest buyer versus when you're at Harry's and you're a big buyer, but you're not, you're not buying as much as Gillette or some of these other major CPG shaving brands. Yeah, I'll go into that, the buyer side, but I think a good story for Apple, just showing how it's the same as everything. I had to source an adhesive sheet for a new keyboard was going into the new Mac architecture. This adhesive sheet had to be like down to the finest level of specs and tolerances. I couldn't find a supplier doing it. I was mm -hmm. manually looking for suppliers globally to be like, who can I find to support me on the sh sheet? But I would just say that it's like the same, no matter what. Buying is, I think, a little different. At Apple, what we would do, and you can translate this anywhere, we do bottoms up cost, should cost analysis, competitive quoting. A lot of times though, there was an Apple tax. They know you're Apple. They know you have some money. So they try to increase the cost. But wow. you can take the same pra practices, and we did do that on at Harry's. When I moved to Harry's, Harry's was working with third parties like brokers. Essentially, they were owning the relationship for factories. They didn't understand like who they were working with, which is fine. Like it's a way to do business. But what they started to do is crank up volumes, and they started increasing the rev of product development cycles. And at that point, they wanted to go direct. So that was like natural transition. And as they started shifting to going direct, or I guess we did, um, we started looking at costs, more of that bottoms up cost, should cost analysis process that I was mentioning that we we're doing at Apple. But it was a transition, just like any company. Makes a lot of sense. Overall, right now, Anvil's involved in a partner with so many different e-commerce brands. How have the past three years been? We've had COVID, we've had so many different cycles, it seems like over just a short amount of time. And I just want to get a pulse from your take on the industry as a whole. How is e-commerce doing today? Yeah, I'm obviously probably the biggest proponent of e-commerce. I think that's the way that people are buying product in the way of the future. You have these old legacy CBGs that are trying to get into it. So I think e-commerce is very strong still to this day. They have natural hurdles that anyone would have with COVID. China shutting down, then the U.S. shutting right. down, then China opening back up, and then the U.S. opening up, and all this pain is felt globally, but they're not alone. It doesn't necessarily matter if you're e-com or a multinational company, but I do think e-commerce is very strong, and there's a big need, and they're doing something different. Right. That difference is important in the market today. Definitely. And it's so interesting to see how different brands have navigated the past few years, right? Because when COVID first happened, all of a sudden factories are shutting down and everyone's trying to get inventory. And then they don't think people are going to be purchasing accessories or kind of products online. And all of a sudden, you know, every retailer is shut down and e-commerce takes off. And so brands are under inventoried and purchasing a lot. And all of a sudden freight rates are through the roof. And so I guess I'm curious, how have you seen brands navigate these different dilemmas? Yeah. Because freight rates all of a sudden basically almost 10x, and now they're back down yeah. to a rate that we're used to. And 
it seems like e-commerce has gone through so many different waves, tidal waves that had it hit it in different directions, whether it be iOS 14 or especially in the supply chain, though, there's so much that these founders and these brands have dealt with. Yeah, I think best practices that we've seen universally is uh, if you can nearshore to improve on both your lead times, but cut out the cost of logistics, we're seeing that. The second thing we're seeing is second sourcing. So if clearly one of your sources go down, you're not getting throttled with not being able to produce product. And lastly, we're seeing an increase of inventory. So there's fear, right? That you can't produce product, you can't move product. So they're increasing what they're keeping in their warehouse or, or DC. Now that clearly impacts working capital, but mm -hmm. we're seeing those kind of moves universally. It's tough to do any of that just in general, but what I've seen is that's making these e-commerce companies more resilient and clearly they're increasing the flexibility in their supply chain like never before. And lastly, like a plug on technology, they're looking at becoming more efficient and seeing around the corner. And that's with companies like you or me or many others. And, and that's also a play that they're pulling. Instead of these manual processes, throwing a lot of bodies at issues, can we scale more efficiently? Yeah, I'm curious. Do you have any kind of examples of, does Anvil help with forecasting and kind of understanding how they should be purchasing their product and sourcing their product? I'm curious if you have any stories around, hey, this brand with Anvil over was able to either make sure they weren't over inventoried. Because I feel like you're saying, and like we're both saying, technology is so crucial to a supply chain team. And I think Anvil does a great job of bridging that gap to forecast better and you know, understand what's actually happening in your supply chain. Yeah. Anvil is an intelligent PO management tool. And what we do, speaking of bridge, we bridge the gap between global supply chain teams, systems, and suppliers so that they're delivering a single source of truth of what's happening. And we do that with collaboration, visibility, intelligence. And what's happening for us is from that PO issuance until a good arrives ocean air truck. And in particular, and going down, what we have is we have a lot of intelligence around lead times, around delay detection, around reading what's happening around the collaborations. So we can predict if things are going to happen or not happen as expected. So if a brand issues a purchase order for a million widgets of X product, expecting it to ship out from their supplier in three months, we can tell you today if that's going to happen. And that's how we're augmenting other systems around like planning, SNOP, inventory management, which are right. wrong immediately when you release a plan because things change rapidly. But we can augment those with real-time analysis of that purchase order, that production of that logistics world to make sure they're more efficient. That's awesome. I think that's such a key to be able to plug in so many data points to have a better understanding of is my forecast right or wrong? When's the inventory actually going to arrive? Because we talked about back in the day where, you know, a lot of these e-commerce brands didn't have technology in their supply chain to even understand, you know, what's going on with their PO or what's going on with their freight. And that causes obviously so many problems because if, you know, you're out of inventory for the holidays or whatever it may be, there's cascading effects around your whole business and supply chain is the backbone of every e-commerce brand. Yeah, no, without a doubt. It's the picks and shovels, right? Yeah. It's what really gets things going. It's not sexy. It's not cool, but you're not a company without a strong supply chain. So does Anvil touch on cash flow with that as well? Because I know in this environment right now, cash flow has been a big challenge with these brands. And just 
to share a story, I have a friend that runs a mid-sized, mid-seven-figure e-commerce brand, and they were utilizing debt to fund a lot of their inventory. And growth was great the past two or so years with kind of the COVID boost, if you will. And now growth has slowed and they still have quite a hefty amount of debt payments. And so they're in a little bit of a cash crunch. And I've heard from a few different e-commerce brands that cash flow is a big challenge in this environment right now. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts on cash flow in this environment? And is Anvil analyzing cash flow for these brands as well? Yeah. So we're a big partner of ERPs. And what we do to augment those ERPs are we know the payment terms, we know eco terms, we know the timelines for everything. So we can have that clock when it starts or stops for when you need to pay or not pay. So that's the first thing, how we get into the world of cash flows. The second is we have intelligence that auto matches POs and invoices from suppliers. Really, it's a three-way match. And within that three-way match, we can scan and tell you exactly what you should be paying for or not. If your supplier invoices for X products and it was Y, you obviously need to go back. So right. we help with that. As far as the physical like cash nature of it, we're not doing that, but we're making them more efficient because they know pay cycles, they know what they should pay and what they should pay for or not. And that's right. how we're helping brands. And at the end of the day, with the ERP partnership, which I started, we'll put that back into an ERP so they have accuracy or information around their financial statements and their just financials in general. Makes sense. What's your general take and pulse on these different inventory financing methods, whether it be like revenue-based financing, like Shopify Capital or kind of ClearCo or a newer one, 8Fig. There's a lot of different ways now to finance inventory. And inventory financing has seen a lot of technological improvements and financial engineering in some regard to try to alleviate some of the cash flow issues that e-commerce brands have. I think there is a bit of a double-edged sword here. And so I'm really curious your opinion on that. Yeah, cash is king and you need cash to be a brand. And if I'm going to be empathetic and be on that side, I'm going to take it from the best source I possibly can with the best terms. So the modern tools, there's so many of them. And I'm actually completely pro for that. There's also working capital lines of credit and other mm -hmm. things that you could do. You should do whatever it is that makes sense. However, long-term, you have to figure out how to be a profitable, sustainable business because those companies go away or you can't have access to them or whatever else may happen. And if you're not focused on that, a lot of businesses are getting in trouble. Makes like sense. It. I'm curious sure. too, your opinion on venture returns and e-commerce too, right? Because a lot of e-commerce brands were raising capital the past few years. There's only been a few kind of real examples of significant venture returns in e-commerce. Harry's obviously being one of them, Dollar Shave, like there's been just a small handful, but I guess I'm curious, you look at even some of the brands that went public the past few years and Allbirds, they're down like, I think 80% publicly. It's, it's pretty crazy to see. Yeah. I think the market's changing a few ways and I'm going to approach this on the fundraising side and then the outcome based side. On the fundraising side, VCs are being more critical based on the outcomes or limited outcomes. You mentioned Harry's and Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club was acquired by Unilever for over a billion dollars. Harry's is still private. Harry's, their deal fell through, sadly, right? So one of the fastest growing direct-to-consumer startups on the planet, zero outcome. Wow. There's no liquidity event for Harry's, which personally it's painful, but 
what they shifted though their business to is becoming profitable and scaling it and being and standing alone. The Harry's team is very close to Warby Parker. They're very close to Alberts. I'm sure they're seeing what's happening. And I think it's a very viable place for any brand just to be private with a real business. On the outcome side is one of my mentors and advisors. It's Mike Corbo. And he just retired from Colgate Palmolive. But what he sees in businesses, he likes these small, medium-sized businesses to acquire and put into his universe. What he likes about them, less complexity. They don't have a lot of overhead. They don't have the team and the debt that they have, but they have the knowledge base that they don't know how to acquire customers, know how to do something cool with product and development and all that. So I still think on that M&A side, there's a huge opportunity for acquisition through whatever it's the Colgate's, Unilever, whatever CPG. And I think that's a viable path for some kind of outcome. If you're going to go public, nowadays, no one's going public for good reason, right. but there's still M&A happening. Totally. Makes a lot of sense. As we wrap up here on e-commerce on tap, one of my favorite questions that I get to ask is what is one question that I didn't ask that you want to answer? So this could be any question that comes to mind that you want to answer yourself and uh, excited to hear what you're going to ask. Yeah. I think the one question is why I'm excited about supply technology across supply chain. That'd be the one thing. What's your answer to it? I think I'm excited about that. Because you have amazing technology that's coming in play, your technology, our technology, and you have best in breed systems that are augmenting these old legacy systems like SAP or NetSuite that can't go deep in the particular use cases or fix the pain points that brands have. And it's a unique time nowadays. And you're seeing it so many new tools and it's amazing. I wish I was on the opposite side, the physical product side now because I would put a completely digital stack in place where before it was all spreadsheets. So it's exciting time for e-commerce businesses and tech. Makes a lot of sense. Well, Rodney, thank you so much for coming on e-commerce on tap. Where can people follow you and learn more about Anvil? My email is Rodney at Anvil.com and please reach out. I'm happy to answer any questions and help anybody. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, Nathan, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me.